0: Productive and Effective Life, week five. So we've been talking about eight biblical steps to reaching your full potential. Not really a self-help series, more of a series on how do I gain the tools necessary to be able to answer God's call for my life. I need to have certain things because the reality is is that God expects us to get the job done. The church has been called to bring the gospel to the world, to let the light of Christ shine in a dark world, to set the captives free, to bring sight to those who, who can't see in that spiritual sense. He has called us to do that and we need to answer that call and in order to answer the call we must be battle ready and in order to get battle ready we need to do these eight steps from 2 Peter chapter 1 so let's read the progression starting in verse 3 and we'll get into part 5 perseverance his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness do you have everything you need for life and godliness that's what it says in the bible does it feel like you have everything you need If it doesn't feel like you have everything you need, let me tell you, what you have is access to the power of God. We have access to the power of God, and that is all we need for life and godliness. But we have to figure out how to connect, to abide in the vine and grab hold of those things of God more and more. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we participate in the divine nature and that causes us to escape the darkness. It isn't just willpower on our own. We must first participate in the divine nature. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. Have you ever made every effort for something? That's what I like high school sports for. You see kids making, they're giving everything they have to do something that maybe is important to them but in the grand scheme of things, maybe not that big of a deal. But I tell you what's significant is learning how to make every effort. Learning how to face obstacles and train and anticipate how you're going to overcome and you have no expectation that you're going to win because everybody doesn't win in high school sports. Sometimes you lose. A very important thing to learn in today's world. And so they fight and claw to try to get a little bit better and it's a beautiful thing. They make every effort. That's how we should embrace Our walk with God, make every effort, not just a little bit of effort. How little do I need to do to go to heaven? How does that work again? No, make every effort to add to your faith, starts with faith, goodness, which is the strength to do the right thing, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, which is the strength to not do the wrong thing, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So I saved verse 12 for the second half of the series in case people are starting to think, yeah, I got it. Okay, you got it. I'll always remind you of these things because these eight things are very important. We want to grab hold of it. It doesn't matter if you can remember what they are. It matters if you can put them into practice. As we see this list of eight things, which concludes with godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, I see three categories in the progression. The first three are building our life with Christ, building our born-again nature, building that uh, relationship with God, faith, the strength to do the right thing, and then the knowledge, the understanding, the revelation we get as we put these things into practice. That builds the God thing in your life. Then you need to protect that thing. Through self-control and perseverance. Because you can wreck it or you can quit and it all falls apart. And then we see the maturing of everything which we'll cover the next three weeks. Godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's the maturing of this where you see the fruit of the effort. And of course, it's a loose progression. They all need to be dealt with at the same time. But you can see how there's also a progression inside that. So for example, I get to be Pastor Mike, preacher man, stands in the front, that sort of a thing. In order to do that, you have to have faith, right? And then you got to step up and do the right thing. And you got to learn some stuff, otherwise you got nothing to say. But, now here you are, if either self-control or perseverance aren't working, it all falls apart. Have you heard of... Pastors who have had a moral failure and then it's all gone. Okay, so they got the first three, but self-control wasn't working. Have you heard of pastors who just get so frustrated because it's all the crazy things that happen and they just walk away? It's perseverance. If you don't protect that beautiful God thing that's growing through self-control and perseverance, it can all fall apart. It can be anything. It might be a ministry. It might be your marriage. It might be something else. We have to do the good things to build it up, but then we need to protect it as well. And then we'll get to the really good things on the, on the other side. So perseverance. Basically what that means is don't quit. Don't give up. This is a rampant problem in Christianity. Quitting. I don't like that, I don't want to do that, people quit. They quit all the time. I go to conferences that are all basically about how do you keep your people from quitting because it happens all the time. Christians love quitting stuff. Not exactly sure what the deal is there, but we are called to persevere. Now, of course, learn, grow, adjust, you know, change as necessary. That's different from quitting. Don't quit. We must persevere. This is a big deal. Mark Denius, who's gone to be with the Lord, a great pastor. I consider him to be a mentor of mine. I, I just knew him slightly, but uh, he was the, the individual who started Emanuel Christian Center down in the cities, and at one point, it was the largest Assembly of God church in the state of Minnesota. He served there for 40 years, from when he started it to when he uh, changed roles, 40 years. And so he's got the biggest church in the state, in the Assemblies of God, and so everybody's asking him questions, and one person asked him, you know, what's the secret you got it? You know, you got there. What's the secret? And he said, oh, just don't quit. Just put one foot in front of the other. He said, I've been 40 years in the same place. Don't quit. He had a great way of answering questions very straightforward. Somebody asked him, what books would you suggest? He said, I got two, the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> Nothing better than a grumpy old preacher that tells you straight. So don't quit. Quitting too soon is probably the most common Ministry mistake or Christian growth mistake that people make. Don't quit. But also don't merely persevere. Don't only persevere. Walk by faith. Add to your faith the strength to do the right thing. While you're doing that, you're going to learn and grow and get revelation from God, and you'll get power to overcome things that used to take you down and now continue to persevere. My wife and I have been married for 27 years. We always make the joke, you know, we just celebrated 19 years of wedded bliss on our 27th anniversary, you know, that sort of stuff. But here's the deal. We've had 27 different years. We haven't lived the same year twice. Some of them have been fairly bad, but... We've always learned, and we have a a phrase that we like to use in our house that I've used in church too, and that is don't waste the pain. If you're going to suffer through something, if you're going to have hardships, if you're going to be Going through things that need to be persevered through, you can't spell persevere without severe. If you're going to go through the hardship, you might as well learn some lessons. You might as well grow and become and get strengthened through the process because you can live the same miserable year 40 years in a row, or you can learn and grow and develop and get stronger and get out of some of the things that are inside of your control. Don't merely persevere. It's part five of a list of eight things. Do the other things too. Because just gritting your teeth and living through it and not getting better is not a great benefit. So, what are some examples in the scripture of things that we shouldn't quit on, we shouldn't give up on? I uh, typed into my concordance for the NIV, give up, to see how many times it would come up. And there were three things that in the NIV it said not to give up on. Three things. Luke 18.1 gives us the first one. Don't give up on prayer. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then Jesus tells the parable of the unjust judge. This is a judge who is supposed to bring justice to the land, but he doesn't care about justice. And there's this woman that keeps coming and asking him for justice. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that for you. I don't care about you. Get out. And she keeps showing up over and over and over. And finally, the unjust judge says, man, she's going to wear me out. You know, talk about a squeaky wheel. I'm going to give her justice because I just am sick of this. So he gives her justice. And Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven bring justice to you? He is a just judge. Don't give up in praying. Keep seeking God. Don't give up. Don't quit praying. Be a person of prayer. And don't stop being a person of prayer. Now, there's a scripture that says, pray without ceasing. Or the NIV, pray continually. And I, I interpret that as be a person of prayer and don't stop being a person of prayer. I've really heard lots and lots of people say that it means you should pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't fully understand how that works, but I've heard it over and over again. I'm going to ask you a question. It's a trick question. And there is a specific answer that I'm looking for. And I have tricked people in every service because it's so ingrained in the Christian culture. Here we go. Ready? I'm going to get you. Can you ever really pray enough? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can pray enough. God does not expect you to pray 30 hours a day. God expects you to do something reasonable, to be a person of prayer and to continue in prayer, but he does not expect you to pray 30 hours a week. You can pray enough. You can give enough. You can serve enough. You can come to church enough. You can read your Bible enough. You can. Now, you probably aren't. But don't give up because you know it's an unattainable goal, that you never can pray enough, you never can read your Bible enough, you never can give enough, you never can measure up, so why even try? We're just stuck in forgiveness anyway, so wherever I fail doesn't really matter. Look, you can pray enough. You can give enough. You can serve enough. You can do that. Find that sweet spot and grab hold of it. Because here's the deal, if you're going to persevere through life and be a person of prayer, be a person who serves, be a person who reads their scriptures and does all the various spiritual disciplines, you're going to have to find a long-term sustainable life rhythm that is God's plan for you. God is not unreasonable. He doesn't expect us to live a completely impossible lifestyle or He's going to be really, really mad at us. You can pray enough, you can read your Bible enough, you can serve enough, you can give enough, you can do it. But go ahead and do it. Go ahead and find that rhythm where you're a person of prayer, you've got a vibrant prayer life and you don't quit. Either because you, you know, don't quit because you don't think it's worth anything, but don't quit because you overdid and now you're burned out. Find a sustainable life rhythm for prayer. Don't quit. Next one, Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Anybody ever volunteered in the nursery? Did you ever grow weary in well-doing as you're serving in the nursery? (laughs) There can be times where you're serving God and it just doesn't feel like it's worth it. I remember as a 20-something new believer They had an announcement in church that if you wanted to help teach Sunday school to show up for this meeting. So I showed up for the meeting and all the ladies that had been teaching Sunday school for decades are like, oh my gosh, there's this kid came to teach Sunday school. So they gave me the third and fourth grade boys and they were not easy to deal with. And I was no manager of people at that point. I, well, guys, why don't we listen to them? Can you come out from under the table? And so it was a very difficult experience for me because I didn't know how to take control of third and fourth grade boys. And they ran all over me. I thought to myself, I'm not sure this is worth it. And you can grow weary in well-doing. You can grow weary in doing right. It says here, don't quit on doing the right things. Now, don't merely persevere. Guess what? I learned how to keep kids in line in a nice way. You know what I mean? You don't have to be mean to them, but talk loud for one thing. So learn as you persevere and then you can grab hold of things. So don't quit doing good. And then Hebrews ten twenty five: let us not give up meeting together. Don't quit meeting together with believers. Do not give up. Meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Come together, encourage each other. Don't quit, don't give up. The three things that talk about not giving up are prayer, doing good, and meeting together. Why this list of three things? Because these are three things. I mean, have you ever prayed and felt like nothing happened? like it was just a waste of time, served and felt like, and this is just disorganized chaos. We're not getting anything done anyway. Who even cares? Showed up for a church meeting or some other Christian meeting and just thought, man, I got nothing out of this. And then we disengage. We stop praying. We stop serving. We stop meeting together. But let me tell you, God Put that in the scriptures because he sees the value over the long term of being a person of prayer, of finding ways to serve, and of sticking together with the body of believers. If we do those three things, then 20 years later, some stuff has gotten done. If we let those three things fall away, then 20 years later, you're probably in the same spot you were before. There is value in being a person of prayer, in being someone who continues in well-doing, in doing good things, and who stays meeting together. So we need to persevere in those things. Let's look at some categories of quitters from the scriptures. So we've seen some things to not quit on. What are some reasons why people quit? Why they don't persevere? Let's go to the parable of the sower as recorded in the book of Luke. We'll read the parable and the interpretation. I love this parable because it has the interpretation. Luke 8, starting in verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and was trampled on. The birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. The way I picture this is, have you ever just had like your lawn encroach on your sidewalk? So you got this little shallow strip of dirt with like grass in it or something. If you pick the grass out and you planted a bean seed in that little half inch of dirt, it would come up. But if you don't get rain that day, it'll wilt. (laughs) There's just very little soil. Some fell on rock and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we've got four categories. The seed that lands on the path gets eaten. The seed that lands on the shallow soil springs up and withers. The seed that's all choked out by the thorns. And then the seed that grows up and produces a crop. Then the interpretation, verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. So the Word of God goes out into the world. The Gideons bring Bibles and put them places. Preachers preach the Word. There's Bible apps and all this stuff. The Word of God is going out into the world. Verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear... And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the word doesn't penetrate them. It just bounces off. And then the enemy makes sure to get that out of there as quick as possible so that they don't turn to God and believe and be saved. Verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So these people quit. Because it got hard. They thought it was going to be easy. They received the word with joy. Oh, there's a God that loves me and he's forgiven me and all I have to do is ask for forgiveness. I'm forgiven and I'm brought in and I go to heaven forever. Ah, That sounds great. And so they're in. But is it all just rose petals and joy from then on? Now there's times of testing. There's times of hardship. There's times of difficulty. And when they hit them, they fade And they quit. They don't persevere. Now, I want to take a moment here to be able to clarify something about this idea of what happens when you give your life to Christ. Because I've heard two uh, overreactions to this. The first one is people think, oh, I'll get saved. I'll give my life to Christ. I'll never have another problem again. You know, it's going to be great. God's on my side. He's fighting my battles. You know, uh, I'm, I'm set. But then they hit hardships and difficulties, times of testing, times of temptation. They hit those hardships, and that's real hard on them. Some people have reacted against that misconception and basically said, boy, you better be careful. Once you give your life to Christ, the devil is going to be unleashed on you, and he's going to get you. You know, there's going to be satanic attacks, and he's going to mash you up. A little Jamaican terminology there. Now, both of them, of course, have an element of truth. You give your life to Christ, your life gets better might not always get easier, but it gets better. Does that mean that the enemy takes notice and wants to come after you? Well, sure. But pick up the shield of faith. Learn how to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy and learn how to be able to submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and make him flee. Because then you can defend yourself against the devil's onslaughts. And when you learn those skills, then the safest place you can possibly be is in the center of God's will that's where you want to be. So don't think it's all going to be rosy and perfect, but don't you avoid advancing in your walk with God because you're afraid the enemy will get you then. He'll take out people who don't love Jesus. He'll hurt anybody. Get in there with God, walk with him, but have the depth to not quit when it gets tough. Another group Verse 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So these are people, the word gets in, they receive it, they're like, yep, Jesus is Lord, that's fantastic, but I got to deal with this. I'm really worried about this situation. You know, hey, I'm, I'd love to go to church, but... You know, i got this fun thing I want to do instead. And they get busy and distracted. This type of quitting is much more subtle. Have you ever quit on something that you kept doing? Like you quit on school, but you kept going to school. You quit on your job, but you kept going to your job. You quit on a relationship, but you stayed in the relationship. You quit on something in your heart, but your body was still there. That's what happens with this type of quitting where, yeah, yeah, Jesus is Lord, awesome. I got other things to do. Distracted by the cares of this life, the pursuit of trying to make it all work financially with, you know, hey, I'm just trying to have a little bit of fun, cut me some slack, just getting too distracted to continue on with God. So these people have quit and they don't even realize it. They just aren't continuing with God. They're just too busy with other things. If that's not a picture of Christianity in the United States today, I don't know what is. Just too distracted. Willing to agree with the Sunday school answers of everything. But boy, you wouldn't know it from their calendar. You wouldn't know it from the hours they put in with the things that they do. Don't quit on God because you're distracted with the things of this world. And here's... A deeper example of the same basic concept from 2nd Timothy chapter 4. This is where the apostle Paul talks to Timothy. He gives him a very powerful charge and then he talks about itching ears. So let's look at 2nd Timothy chapter 4 starting in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom I give you this charge. Preach the word. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So these itching ear people that are described in 2 Timothy chapter 4, they quit because they didn't like the truth, they preferred something else. I don't know when it happened that we think that when it comes to matters of faith, we get to pick what we like, and then that's our truth. How did that happen? Try that with the IRS. Well, your truth is that I owe you, but my truth is that you owe me. And they'll be, oh, okay, well, we, we live in a relativistic society, so, you know, we'll give you money and we'll write a check to ourselves. and it'll, it'll... They don't do that. God is less wishy-washy than the IRS. If it's true, it's true. <laughs> if it's not true, it isn't. I'm going to say something that I want you to hear right. I say this to people a lot. You can say it wrong, it's okay, I'll hear you right. Because I talk a lot and people take me wrong, and I appreciate it when people take me right. These itching ear people quit on the truth and preferred myths because they liked the myth better than the truth. You ready? Here we go. The Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God, and there are things in it that I don't like. I don't like hell. I don't like that certain parables are confusing because the interpretation hasn't been given. I don't like that the narrow road is the one that leads to life. But my opinion doesn't matter. What's true is what's true. I don't get to pick. I don't get to tell you stuff I like and leave out stuff I don't like. We must not quit on truth because we prefer something else. That's dangerous. A Another group of people who quit, let's look at John chapter 6, verse 66. I find it amazing that this is John 666. 6, 6. I want to know if there's any chapter 6's that have 66 verses in any of the other. I, I went through the first few books of the Old Testament, I didn't see any 66's, but you know, check this out. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The people who were following Jesus said, Yeah, forget it, and left. John 6:66 6, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? I encourage you to read that whole chapter. Here's what Jesus said. He said, "I'm the bread of life." And they question him, and to a group of Jews, Jesus says, "Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you." And he goes on this what felt like a really long time of talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood to a group of kosher Jews drinking blood eating human flesh this is like what kind of crazy person are you I'm not drinking your blood what They had no context for understanding it. I mean, we have communion. We understand the Last Supper. We understand the body broken for us. And we understand the blood shed for us. We understand what it means. We can put it in context with communion. They had no idea. And he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And so they're like, forget it, man. You're nuts. And they left. The Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant, Word of God, and there are parts of it that I don't understand. These people, have, they're like, what? I don't get that at all. There are things I don't understand. There are things that even seem backwards. Do I get to quit because I read something I don't understand that might even seem backwards? No, it's still true. The reason there are things in here that I don't like is because I have a lack of perspective and a lack of understanding. The reason there are things in here that I don't get is because I have a lack of perspective and a lack of understanding. I'm going to trust God that there's an answer to the question that I can't find, but He's got it. And I'm just going to go with Him. Because He's true, He's righteous, and He's good. So there are scriptural examples of people quitting because times got hard and they couldn't take it. People quit because they got distracted. People quit on the things of God because they preferred other truths. And people quit because they just didn't understand. Let's not quit for those reasons. Walking with God isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. Walking with God isn't always easy. We must persevere. We must battle through. We must get to the other side of the fight. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Let's read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 as our closing scripture. Let's believe God for the power to persevere. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That solves a lot of problems.